This is Affliction Affliction Fiction, Fiction. a podcast regarding writers and artists who quite literally make their characters sick. I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I'm James Ewer. On this show, we analyze illnesses that exist in fictional works, such as TV, books, and film, and how they relate to the real world. And I'm James Ewer. And this week, we'll be taking a look at Rat-itis, which is referenced in Roald Dahl's 1984 autobiography, Boy, Tales of Childhood. But Mr. James, we only cover works of fiction. Autobiographies are non-fiction. Right you are, Ms. Jennifer. But Rat-itis takes place in a fictional story within Dahl's non-fictional story. I'm confused already. Boy is a memoir that specifically follows Dahl's childhood, and in one section in particular, it describes the two years he spent at Landaff Cathedral School, beginning at age seven. Dahl relays how every day on the walk to and from school, he and his friends would spend all of their pocket change in a candy shop. One of Dahl's friends, named Thwaites, explicitly advises against purchasing and eating a candy called licorice boot laces. Thwaites says that his father told him never to eat them, because they're made by boiling and crushing rats into a thick paste, then letting the resulting liquid harden. Thwaites' father also says that eating licorice bootlaces can give you rat-itis. And now I'm going to read from the book, which is going to be fun, because I get to do a father voice and a young son voice. It's going to be great. The text states, Don't ever eat them, the father had said. If you do, you'll get rat-itis. What is rat-itis, Daddy? Young Thwaites had asked. All the rats that the rat catchers catch are poisoned with rat poison, the father had said. It's the rat poison that gives you rat-itis. Yes, but what happens to you when you catch it? Young Thwaites had asked. Your teeth become very sharp and pointed, the father had answered. And a short, stumpy tail grows out of your back just above your bottom. There is no cure for rat-itis. I ought to know. I'm a doctor. Wait, Jennifer, are you sure rat-itis is a fictional disease? I'm pretty sure I went to high school with a lot of people who had it. Yikes. Roasted. As you can hopefully tell, rat-itis is just a disease that Thwaites' father made up in order to deter him from eating licorice bootlaces. That being said, there are real conditions with symptoms that in some ways resemble the fictional illness known as rat-itis. Thwaites' father describes one of the symptoms of rat-itis as teeth becoming sharp and pointed. I was surprised to discover, and by I I mean Jennifer, that pointy teeth is a symptom of a real disorder called hypohydrotic ectodermal dysplasia, or HED. Just kidding, H-E-D. But (laughs) (laughs) according to the National Foundation for Ectodermal Dysplasias, this disorder is a rare genetic condition characterized by a reduced ability to sweat, missing teeth, and fine sparse hair. People with HED have distinctive facial appearances, including thin, dark skin underneath the eyes with extra wrinkles, a depressed saddle nose, a narrow jaw, and small pointed teeth. Teeth are often the deciding factor in diagnosing someone with HED. Either teeth do not erupt at the expected age, or they appear pointed when they do erupt. However, those with HED do not have tails, and it is not a disorder that is transmitted by rats or rat poison, as it's a genetic disorder. So really, the only similarity between HED and rat-itis is the appearance of pointed teeth. While there aren't many other disorders characterized by sharp pointed teeth, there are disorders with the symptom of small and unusually shaped teeth. One of these disorders is microdontia. According to Colgate's website, and yes, we are citing a toothpaste company, microdontia is a common oral health problem, often running in families, characterized by small teeth. 
People with this disorder have teeth that look like primary or baby teeth. Since their teeth are so small and often have large gaps in between them, those with microdontia have difficulty chewing and can easily cause wear and tear to their teeth. Microdontia is something that can be fixed cosmetically if a person wishes to do so. According to Dr. Charles W. Wakefield, professor and director of the Advanced Education in General Dentistry Residency Program at the Texas A&M Health Science Center Baylor College of Dentistry, What a name drop. The appearance of small teeth can be corrected through composite bonding, veneers, or crowns. In composite bonding, a dental material called composite resin is shaped and molded onto the teeth to make them look more like normal adult teeth. Veneers are essentially a retainer-like shell that one can put over their teeth to give the appearance of normal teeth, and a dental crown is a cap that dentists can put over a tooth to restore it to a normal shape, size, and function. So theoretically, if rat-itis were a real disease, an infected person could have dental work done to make their teeth look normal again. Another disorder that causes teeth to look abnormal is amylogenesis imperfecta. According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, this disorder is acquired genetically, and like microdontia, it causes teeth to be unusually small as well as discolored, pitted, or grooved, and prone to rapid wear and breakage. Amylogenesis imperfecta can also be treated with crowns in addition to tooth implants, dentures, or other orthodontic treatments. Believe it or not, there have been cases of humans having tails, much like how Thwaites' father claims that those infected by rat-itis grow a tail. In these cases, the patients were born with tails rather than spontaneously growing them at some point in their lives. According to a report from the Journal of Indian Association of Pediatric Surgeons, human tails are rare, as the report only cites six cases which these surgeons have experienced. Human tails are classified as either true or pseudotails, and they're usually accompanied by occult spinal dysraphism, not to be confused with dysracism, which I'm sick and tired of. That was an attempt. (laughs) (laughs) Occult spinal dysraphism is a group of conditions at birth that affect the spine, spinal cord, or nerve roots. A vestigial tail, according to the report, is the remnant of a structure found in embryonic life. For two weeks in utero, humans have a tail with 10 to 12 vertebrae that disappears by the eighth week of embryonic development. However, the six patients that the report describes did not have any vertebrae in their tails. Some of them don't even really look like how you might picture a tail, but instead they're just long and thin. Some of them have spherical ends or look kind of just like giant skin tags. Thwaites' father claims that rat-itis has no cure, but you could theoretically fix both of the symptoms that he lists with surgery or dental treatments. I should know, I'm a nurse. And then right here I put in parentheses, get it, because he says, I should know, I'm a doctor, ha ha, in all caps, close parentheses. You could have just told the joke without listing how you wrote it and formatted it in the Google Doc. Get it, because I'm a nurse. Ha ha. (laughs) Actually, I don't like it either way. (laughs) Though people can have sharp teeth or have a tail... These symptoms come from very rare disorders. Furthermore, there probably isn't a case that exists where a person had both sharp teeth and a tail since both of those things rarely occur separately anyway. Now, as the name would suggest, rat-itis derives from rats. This isn't unheard of in the real world, as rats are pretty universally regarded as vectors which carry and transmit disease. And the most obvious example that comes to mind is different forms of plague, but there are plenty of other diseases which are directly transmitted by rodents. The one with the most fun name is rat bite fever. 
Rat bite fever, or RBF if you want to make it sound less cool, is an infectious disease that is caused by one of two different bacteria, Streptobacillus monoliformis in North America and Spirillum minus in Asia. According to the CDC, rat bite fever can't be directly transmitted from one human to another. Instead, it's transmitted from a rodent. Contrary to what the name would imply, it's not just rats, but also other rodents like mice and gerbils that can cause this disease. And it doesn't have to be a bite either. A scratch or even just handling an infected rodent is enough to give you the disease. Symptoms of rat bite fever differ depending on which of the two bacteria is causing it. In the variant found in North America, symptoms include fever, vomiting, headache, muscle pain, joint pain, and a maculopapular rash, which is a rash that causes small bumps to develop on otherwise flat and reddened areas. The variant of rat bite fever found in Asia causes fever, rash, swollen lymph nodes, as well as swelling and the appearance of an ulcer near the wound. The onset of symptoms in this variant occurs longer after the initial exposure to the infected rodent compared to its North American counterpart. Another example which more closely resembles ratitis is salmonellosis, which is the proper name for the infection caused by the bacteria salmonella. This isn't all that uncommon or obscure of a condition, so you're probably already familiar with the symptoms. Things like diarrhea, vomiting, abdominal cramps, and fever. You know, fun stuff. There are a number of different ways that a person can become infected with salmonella, but we generally associate it with cross-contamination in food. And in New York City in particular, we know that rats coming into contact with food and water can create a number of health problems, salmonellosis being one of them. Rats can, in fact, be carriers of salmonella. And while we might make fun of Lipton's Dining Hall for their presence of rats, other rodents can be carriers of salmonella too, including pet rodents. That's not to say that every hamster or guinea pig you find at a pet store is infected with disease-causing bacteria, but it's a good idea to handle a pet rodent in ways that won't cause cross-contamination with food. The CDC notes that if you want to prevent salmonella from rodents, you should always wash your hands thoroughly with soap and water after you hold them or touch any surface they've been in contact with. It's also a good idea to keep them away from food preparation areas and your mouth. Licorice bootlaces don't have to be made from rats to be infectious, they just have to come in contact with one. Simply put, this isn't ratatouille. Rats don't belong in the kitchen. I think they do, maybe. If they're as talented as Remy. Remy would lose to Stuart Little in a fight, <laughs> and that's the tea. <laughs> Thwaites' father states that the reason licorice bootlaces give you ratitis is because they contain rat poison. In real life, ingesting rat poison can cause a health condition too. It's called death. That being said, you'd probably be surprised at how much rat poison would need to be consumed for it to kill you. Most often when we see a character poison someone else in a work of fiction, the effects are dramatic and immediately lethal. However, Bernard Sangali, director of Yukon Health's Poison Control Center, notes that in real life, humans aren't poisoned so easily, at least not with the toxic substances that are easily accessible. The proportion of all homicides caused by poison is noticeably low, because any poisonous substance you can easily buy for your household isn't nearly as dangerous as a more intense poison like cyanide. Take, for example, Decon. Decon? What does a Disney Channel original movie have to do with this? No, that's a decom. Decon is a leading brand of rat poison. The active ingredient in decon is brotofacum, which is a type of anticoagulant, or blood thinner. Decon works against rats by continuing to thin their blood until they start hemorrhaging. It's designed to kill slowly, so that a rat can't catch on to the fact that it's causing other rats to die. 
In humans, decon technically could cause brain hemorrhaging and eventual death, and there has been a rare case of that, but you would need to consume a lot of it. We don't know exactly how much would be needed to kill a human, as that would be very unethical to test, but the trend that has been seen across failed homicide attempts is that continuous ingestion of rat poison over several days and even weeks isn't enough to be lethal. But it will typically cause stomach pains, headaches, and vomiting first. Of course, not all rodenticides are equal. An extremely severe kind of rat poison is strychnine, ingestion of which, according to the CDC, causes symptoms to appear within 15 to 60 minutes. These include convulsions and muscle spasms, agitation, and difficulty breathing, which more often than not leads to death. In short, if you're looking to live a healthy life, eating rat poison probably isn't for you. The consequences of doing so are much worse than growing big teeth and a tail. That's all we have to say for now, but what do you think? Do you have a question or contribution to today's discussion? Do you know of a fictional illness that you'd like us to talk about? Do you have personal experience with a condition similar to a fictional one which you'd like to discuss? If so, you can send us an email at afflictionfiction at wnyu.org. For now, I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I'm James Ewer. Thanks for listening. And get well soon. And I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jennifer Horlick. Excerpts from Boy, Tales of Childhood were written by Roald Dahl and published by Farrar, Strauss, and Jerome. Lover's Carvings by Bibio was written by Stephen Wilkinson and is property of Warp Records.